Hi, this is Mark Rabin. Before the episode, let me quickly tell you about my new book. It's titled Measures of Success. It's a book that will help you react less to your performance metrics, every up and down in those. It'll help you lead better. It'll help you improve more. So you can learn more about the book by going to www.measuresofsuccessbook.com or you can search Amazon. It's available as a print book, a Kindle book. It's available through Apple Books. I hope you'll check it out. Hi, this is Mark Raven. If you like this podcast, you might realize I have a blog, leanblog.org. Did you also know that I have another podcast called Lean Blog Audio? And there I basically, occasionally, or as often as I can, I read audiobook style versions of blog posts. So you can go to leanblog.org slash audio or search in your favorite podcast place for Lean Blog Audio. I hope that'll give you something else uh, that's food for thought, something else to help you in your lean journey. Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, this is Mark Graben. Welcome to episode 175 for May 16th, 2013. My guest today is Mike Taubitz of the firm Sustainable Lean. Uh, he's located in Michigan. Mike's a retired GM employee, including a stint as their global safety director. We met in late 2011 at the Michigan Lean Consortium Conference, and we quickly discovered our shared interest and passion for the work of Dr. W. Edwards Deming, uh, for the lean methodology, and most important, um, safety improvement. So I hope you enjoy our chat about uh, Mike's background and lessons from his career, talking about how to integrate lean practices and safety improvement, um, his lessons and inspiration from Paul O'Neill, my guest in podcast 124, and uh, some other great topics. So to find links, uh, to Mike, to the Paul O'Neill podcast, to other info, you can go to the page for this episode at leanblog.org slash 175. Mike, it's a pleasure to talk to you after meeting at the uh, the Michigan Lean Consortium event. Thanks for being a guest on the podcast today. Mark, thanks for having me. Any chance to talk about some of my passions is an opportunity. Yeah, I'm glad you can share that with us today. Um, can you start off by talking about your career and your work at General Motors? Sure. I spent over 43 years in General Motors. Uh, started out in engineering and uh, ended up migrating through some HR positions of labor relations and training and ultimately ended up in safety. Uh, late 70s was a period when Management was beginning to wake up at the fact that uh, there are a lot of things in OSHA that were technical, whether guarding or noise control, and that kind of put my career in motion. I moved from a plant to the Chevrolet division and then the old CPC group, and then down to corporate safety, ultimately uh, co-managed the UAW GM Center for Health and Safety, got to start my passion, which had always been my career passion, was to uh, create engineering for health and safety. And then lastly, ended up as a global regulatory liaison where I went around the world seeking out emerging global issues that would impact the manufacturing environment, trying to make sure that all of our strategies and our designs were aligned with what was coming. That's kind of it in a nutshell. Quick follow-up question on, on the time at GM. It seems like, you know, and I, I know from my time working there, even though it was only two years, not 43. Um, it seemed like, you know, for, with the contentious 
you know, uh, relationship that was there sometimes. It seemed like safety should have been something that, that the UAW and, and, and GM could have cooperated well on. What, what was your experience in that regard? Well, interestingly, um, we did. We, we had some school of hard knocks over mm-hmm. technical issues and things like zero energy lockout in the early 80s. Um, probably a, a biggest issue that finally came together is when top operating management took direct personal responsibility for occupational safety in the mid-90s. And that really was an outgrowth of Paul O'Neill, who was then um, chairman of Alco and on the GM board, came on and asked some very insightful questions to top management. And when folks got through to people like me, I just said, look, safety is a staff function, and it must be run by operating management. And when that happened, um, the joint process actually gelled in a better manner. Well, and Paul O'Neill... You know, as a previous guest on on this podcast, he played a very similar role um, coming into healthcare, asking some of these you know pointed pointed questions. Um, you know, talking about the important role of leadership in uh, in taking responsibility for safety. Um, let's talk. We'll, we'll come back and, and talk about some of you know the GM experiences and how you got exposed to Dr. Deming. But um, you're by no means retired after those 43 years at GM. What, what are you doing today? Tell the listeners about that. Yeah, I'm way too hyper to retire. I'm afraid <laughs> that my wife would kill me if I stuck around home too much. Um, I am in consulting, uh, actually through two separate uh, companies. One, I do a great deal of expert safety work. Uh, I work for a, I contract out to a large safety consulting firm in Nashville called FDR Safety. Uh, the owner of whom is Fred Ryan. I'm going to have to learn what his middle initial is. But the other part. Um, I just formed a, another company last year called Sustainable Lean, and that was with a, a young man whom I had hired into the old engineering for health and safety activity. He was a Michigan Tech graduate, and we had so much fun doing a lean contract uh, with Michigan Tech University all the way up in Houghton, Michigan, that um, we decided to pool our resources and see what we could do to better spread the message of lean and lean thinking in in non-traditional areas um, that it works whether it's in a university and it works whether it's in healthcare or a dental shop or restaurant I, I think that's one of the bigger challenges for leaders to understand that lean thinking does not mean a factory floor mm-hmm. well that's 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 certainly very true and that you know safety should be I think we would be in violent agreement. Safety should be the first and foremost kind of underlying condition of operating anywhere, right? Sure. The, but the other part of that, Mark, and, and you and I have had past discussions on this, I, I find I'm very critical of the safety profession, um, actually along with many other staff functions, is that we operate in silos. Mm-hmm. Safety people come along with their professional certifications and their OSHA language and things that don't merge well with how someone running a business runs the business on a daily basis. But I'm equally critical when we kind of put quality into its own silo or environment or HR. All of it is about making things really run well. And our goal should be to bring those things together for operating management. So maybe that's a good transition to talk about Dr. Deming. So you're I, I agree with you that you know one of the problems we have, and, and Dr. Deming talked about this a lot, was uh, you know the silos in in an organization. Instead of 
viewing things and operating things as a system. So I'd be curious to hear some of your history, where you got exposed to Dr. Deming and, and his ideas and teaching. Sure. Back in the early 80s, um, I'm an engineer. I like things to be organized. I'd like to think I'm a systems thinker. Uh, we started hearing about this this Deming guy who'd been around Ford and was bounced around General Motors. And so I read his book. I actually ended up um, spending several years in, in the mid and late 80s meeting every Wednesday night for several hours with union people having pizza and trying to figure out how we could better make use of his 14 points and all his teachings to integrate into what we were doing. And I, I came away with, you know, I, I loved the guy and I got it. I, you know, drive out fear and bust the silos. Mm -hmm. But it was really hard to implement. It, it seemed like there are these great foundation principles and philosophy and if you got it, oh, that's good. But what's my next step to begin to implement, especially across an organization as large as General Motors was at that time? What were the tactical tools that we, we could use? And I have to admit that probably for almost a decade, some of the passion waned as uh, some of the union people moved on. I moved on to different assignments. And... Um, it really wasn't until the late 90s uh, when I was in General Motors North America Industrial Engineering and had a chance to learn 5S as taught by NUMI people that for me, my own personal aha moment finally went off. The flickering 40-watt bulb finally came on and um, I began to see some things. And, and how did you, you know, how did that aha moment with lean tie back to you know what you'd learned originally from dr deming as i reflect on it it wasn't so much what you do but how and why at at the time that i went through the 5s exercise in the late 90s um, my boss's boss had told all the gm manufacturing tech center executives that we we're going to get blue jeans to go learn this thing called 5s to understand the kind of irony of this is that I was the executive overseeing what we call the GM Productivity Lab that taught 5S and all of the lean tools to hourly people and people on the factory floor. And we knew how to do that. I mean, we could pick up these tools and make everything run the way it was supposed to. But transitioning that into an office or business setting was the thing that confounded not only me, but, but others. And so when Newley came out, and I remember clearly, Mark, and looking out a group of us, and they said, you've all spent your careers trying to get rid of non-value added. Of course, we nodded our heads and cutting costs, yep. And eliminating waste, yep. And I remember they looked around, and they said, well, name the seven forms of waste. I went, gosh, and all my readings on Deming, and then a kind of, Elihu, gold rat, a theory of constraints, and you name it. And they said, well, look, we're going to put you through this 5S exercise, and you probably think that the goal is to make things neat, clean, and organized. They said, that's just an outcome. Mm -hmm. This is a method that will force you to come together in teams to learn how to identify and eliminate waste, to then develop standards for work that was not 
previously standardized so that you can sustain it. And in the process, you're learning consensus that doesn't always come easy to those of us in, in North America. And I ended up in a, a project with a, an executive conference room and just, like I said, the light bulb came on that it was simple, but it wasn't what we were doing, but how we went about it and why. And it was the educational cornerstone that I needed that for me then began my own personal passion that I wanted to put lean into office and business systems for any kind of organization. And now I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on what you've seen as some of the biggest challenges in getting people, leaders, organizations to adopt lean principles. I, I know from my time growing up around Detroit and being in General Motors, there was certainly you know, kind of a gut level uh, resistance to adopting things from, from Toyota. I know when, when I was there in the mid-90s, we couldn't call it Toyota anything. We couldn't call it lean. Um, so I know that that was I'm curious if you have thoughts on that or just, you know, kind of general hesitation or challenges that, that people and organizations have about lane. Mark, you're right. I, the, kind of the old Detroit paranoia and what would we call things. But apart from that superficiality, I find something much more challenging with my, my clients today. And, and that is, I think that we have become a, a nation of solution seekers. So when I take clients back, and I, I usually start with folks of what came before lean, and yeah. even people who are seem very immersed in it kind of look like the deer in the headlights. And it really is, well, just Toyota and other Japanese companies following the teachings of Deming. Deming didn't teach lean. He taught continuous improvement based upon his principles, Plan, do, check, act is the closest thing to a model. You've got a problem, get together, assess your current state, make a plan. The do is kind of a pilot. Check yourself. Either act on it, adjust it, or abandon it. Critical thinking. We were immersed, and, and I now reflect that as I'm old enough, I see you grow up from 65 to 85, we didn't have Six Sigma, which is really a branding for statistical process control taught by Deming. We want tools. I want 5S. Mm -hmm. I want value stream mapping. I want Kanban. I want flow. Yeah. I want cell manufacturing. We have missed the foundational thinking that Deming was trying to get people to do. And what I find, Mark, and, and I'm really wrestling with this in my mid-60s, is to go back and unlearn things that I learned. And here's a case in point. This has nothing to do with automotive or anything else. An engineer, We've got a project, all right, we're going to sit down, we'll assess what we have to do, we'll set the markers in place, we'll start the project plan, here's what we're going to deliver one year from now. As I reflect on what Lean and Deming have helped me with is, you get two steps into the project and what you thought was a current state isn't. Hmm. There's more variation than we recognized. And the only way that you could find that variation is to begin by doing something. In, in a case of plan, do, check, act, I made a standard, why went out? Well, gosh, why did my standard work here? Uh, well, that one machine that I thought was identical for a task to its other machine wasn't because of a difference in part or weight or anything else. All of those things impact safety, quality, the whole operational performance. So my bottom line is this. I'm finding that 
there is a perception that lean is a factory floor, that gee, where's my immediate solution, that if I implement the solution as a leader, can I just train other people and have them go do it, as opposed to now trying to get top-level leaders to understand that they must understand and personally practice mm. and lead the lean culture, because it is a culture change. And it's hard to unlearn that which we have learned in our formal education and business practices. Now, curious to hear some of your thoughts, you know, since you've done work with lean and, and safety, what are some of the, um, you know, kind of integration points or some of the good things that are going on today or even um, things with sustainability, um, you know, the quote unquote lean and green? Um, how, what, how do you see some of those connections? What are some of the good things that are happening or that you hope would happen out there? Well, interesting question. I just got off the uh, phone with a... Uh, a steering committee for the National Lean and Safe Network. Hmm. And that's a uh, loose group that's been in existence since 2007 of passionate, mainly safety people, um, who believe that everything we do in safety can be improved by using lean principles and thinking, hmm. by using lean concepts, management systems, etc. cetera. Um, it is a group uh, that still struggles to really get a toehold with the thinking, but here's the bottom line. Everything that we do in safety can be fully integrated with lean and quality concepts. Injury and illness is, are just other forms of waste. When I marry them to the seven forms of operational waste, correction and overproduction and excess motion and material movement, waiting inventory and process, why when I'm looking at improving a job wouldn't I go, hmm, I wondered if somebody could be injured here. Mm -hmm. What are we doing about air, water, solids, and energy? If we get back to critical thinking and integration, so the bottom line is that everything in safety can be improved by applying these quality concepts to, to me come from management system kind of approach, built upon plan, do, check, act kind of foundation, applying all of the lean tools. When we talk about safety, Good housekeeping is a cornerstone. Well, 5S is nothing more than a system that is, I call it, good housekeeping on steroids mm -hmm. done properly. So there is that opportunity. I am seeing opportunities for integration, and, and that would uh, lead me to, to maybe something that I, I've just done with a client and, and I personally think is kind of exciting, and that's the use of a safety methodology uh, that is now going to be piloted to be used as a continuous improvement tool. And, and I'm curious to hear more about that. I mean, how, how does that, how do you see that playing out? Well, the methodology, um, very different than traditional safety tools, was developed with lean thinking. And it's called task-based risk assessment. And task-based risk assessment actually started with General Motors and the UAW, working with our workers in the late 90s um, to begin to develop safety standards around robotics. Hmm. Traditional safety approach is we get professionals, we get on the floor, we get a team, we look at the safety issues of a job, and that's what we come back with. JSA, job safety analysis, job safety work practice, there's six different names, doesn't matter. But it only deals with the safety or the hazard issue. 
task-based risk assessment, on the other hand, completely ignores all hazard or risk and has a worker walk through every step of what a given task is. And it's very critical to scope that. If it's if it's an operator running a part, we may run it for a specific part or group of parts, but that may be separate from what they do for tool change or setup on the machine. But the worker walks through every little step and mm. detail. Then going back with management and the experts on this and marrying up the hazards and risks and coming up with a level of risk. In the case of the one client whom I'm working with, it's a... It's a manufacturer of brass rods, and they have a finishing machine that uh, straightens the rod and finally forms it, cuts it, bands it for shipping. And they have what they call pre-straighteners taking this product that's in a coil to take it through the final operation. The company had some very excellent job safety work practices with pictures of the hazards and issues and on the pre-straightener for these finished machines they identified three main issues. When we took the methodology of task-based risk assessment down with management and the workers I asked an experienced worker how many steps do you think we're really going to have? And he thought for a few seconds and he said six. After 40 minutes we showed 17. Hmm. And in that 17, the old devil is in the detail. There were some hazards that might have been overlooked. But just the methodology of open discussion on the factory floor and asking questions about what goes wrong highlighted quality issues and other things. When we had a debrief the following day with all the top operating execs and the hourly people and the CEO of the company, um, it was great. The, the hourly guy looked at the CEO and he says, you know, I guess I just take for granted all the things that I do. Mark, we all multitask. No, we Anybody try. <laughs> who goes through and we, we're doing two and three things at once. And the problem is it might overlook, again, safety or quality issues. Mm -hmm. I always picture it this way. I'm a new worker. Show me the right way to do this job so that I can do it flawlessly without error, without a safety issue, meeting production demands, etc. If we miss these detailed steps, then we've done a disservice to that person. The bottom line is this company is now in the process of we've modified task-based risk assessment really to be an integrated task assessment so that using the same approach, approaching the worker with respect on the factory floor, and now we're going to capture all the issues around safety, quality, and production so that they have an integrated methodology, mm -hmm. and they're now even going to use it to drive ISO 9000. So it's kind of exciting. This is a synergy when we broke down the silos that a safety methodology could improve what we were doing for quality and continuous improvement. Well, it just goes to show, like you say, I mean, the, the benefits from that, that come from breaking down silos and, and getting people to work together to work more systemically. Um, one, one other thing I'd like to touch on maybe before we have to wrap up, you know, you talked about um, earlier, you talked about, um, you know, experts with uh, with their certifications. Um, we've we've traded some emails talking a little bit about, um, you know, lean certification, which is sometimes a 
a controversial subject. Um, what, what are your views on, on certifications there or even in the safety realm? Well, I personally uh, am not a certified safety professional. I'm, I'm reluctant to uh, get in to do that. Uh, it's, it's just become, in my mind, a big business. We've got certified safety professionals, certified industrial hygienists, certified hazardous material managers, certified environmental managers, and I can go on for the litany. As I tell people, as individuals or companies who think that there's real value, then fine, go for it. But I personally believe that it detracts from critical thinking and its attempt, again, to have some kind of superficial solution to something that can often be a complex problem and, again, many times drives a wedge into this, what's needed for integration. So I, you know, where folks really want it, that's fine, but uh, I personally don't uh, advocate it. Well, yeah, like you said, I mean, there's that that solution seeker mindset, the the quick fix idea. You know, Doctor Deming, you know, would say that you know there there's no instant pudding. Um, I don't know if if organiz if individuals think, well, if I get the certification, that makes me an expert, as opposed to maybe being a starting point for ongoing learning and ongoing practice. That can be a problem. I, I see sometimes organizations I think shortchange themselves by only looking to hire a quote-unquote certified lean person where you know, I know a hospital here in Texas who's hired uh, a couple really great people out of Toyota, and I guarantee you they're not quote-unquote lean certified. Yes, that's, that's <laughs> yeah. right. You know, Mark, you mentioned something earlier just quickly on the term of concept of sustainability. Sustainability is the triple bottom line. I call it people, profit, and planet. The only approach I know to take, and it's, it's one of my passions, that's probably another entire podcast, but it's the integration of, of lean principles and thinking with green. There, there's already a tremendous effort with EPA for uh, recognizing that lean and green is the right thing to do. Unfortunately, safety is left out. Of course, we turn to OSHA, and that's, but the integration of lean, green, and safety are footsteps in the path of long-term sustainable growth, of doing the right things inside the organization for the community, yeah. and certainly that applies for healthcare as well as anything else. And I, just triggering one last thought for uh, healthcare, I went up with my colleague from uh, Sustainable Lean and worked with uh, a, a friend of ours who'd actually been in one of my lean classes last year, and he's in healthcare, and we went up and chose a task with a knowledgeable nurse, and she chose, uh, let's check blood on a diabetic patient. And she guessed that they'd have 30 steps in this task. Methodology showed 77. And we highlighted some issues that might even get into patient care for yeah. how we actually recorded the data that we took and was it accurate. So the bottom line is, to, and what you and I are both on the same page, it's all about integration. It's all about critical thinking and using simple methods that help people discover their own Aha moments. Well, I agree with you. And, and to wrap things up, do you have any, any final thoughts you'd want to share or any ideas um, about the lean movement or, or safety or how this all comes together? Well, I would hope that, again, we would just step back to basics, that I see lean as the enabler for many kinds of things as long as we open ourselves 
that lean does fit for safety and it does fit for environmental and quality, but it's a mindset of teamwork and consensus and developing standards that are very different than what I learned in engineering school and what I practiced. And I think when we get there, if we want to stay open to things that for this country, that the future is very bright because this is the pathway to bring jobs back and grow this economy. Well, I agree with you, and, and I hope there are good things ahead for my home state of Michigan in terms of bringing jobs back and increasing competitiveness. And I know the Michigan Lean Consortium and um, other efforts back there are, um, I think, having a, a nice impact and um, hopefully um, leading to uh, a lot of success for, for the state. So again, our guest has been Mike Taubitz. Uh, thanks so much for uh, being a guest and sharing some of your thoughts and experiences, Mike. Well, thanks for having me. I've really enjoyed it, and I hope this has been of value to the listeners. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.